1: 2021 Q1 results analyst call. At this time, all lines are in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question-and-answer session. If at any time during this call you require assistance, please press star zero for the operator. This call is being recorded on Tuesday, May 4th, 2021. I'd now like to turn the conference over to Brad Monaco, Director of Capital Markets for Parkland. Please go ahead.
2: Thank you. With me today on the call are Bob Espy, President and CEO, Marcel Tunison, Chief Financial Officer, and Ian White, Senior Vice President, Strategic Marketing and Innovation. This call is webcast, and I encourage listeners to follow along with the supporting slides. We will go through our prepared remarks and then open it up for questions from the investment community. Please limit yourself to one question and a follow-up as necessary, and if you have other questions, re-enter the queue. We would ask analysts to follow up directly with the capital markets team afterwards for any detailed modeling type questions. During our call today, we may make forward-looking statements related to expected future performance. These statements are based on current views and assumptions and are subject to uncertainties which are difficult to predict. These uncertainties include, but are not limited to, expected operating results and industry conditions, among other factors. Risk factors applicable to our business are set out in our annual information form and management's discussion and analysis. <coughs> we will also be discussing non-GAAP measures, which do not have any standardized meanings prescribed by GAAP. These measures are identified and defined in Parkland's continuous disclosure documents, which are available on our website or SEDAR. Please refer to these documents as they identify factors which may cause actual results to differ materially from any forward-looking statements. Dollar amounts that is discussed in today's call are expressed in Canadian dollars unless otherwise noted. I'll now turn the call over to Bob. Thank you Brad and good morning everyone.
3: We appreciate you taking the time to join us and trust you are staying safe and healthy. I would also like to welcome Ian White to today's call to provide an update on some of our ongoing organic growth initiatives which continue to strengthen our existing business. The photo on today's cover slide showcases one of our proprietary Pioneer branded locations with an on the run convenience store. Together, these illustrate our compelling value proposition which fulfills our purpose of powering journeys and energizing communities and plays a critical role driving continued organic growth. Many of our markets are still dealing with various levels of COVID-19 restrictions. I'm exceptionally proud of our team's commitment to to safely and reliably providing the essential fuels and services customers need. In, particularly, in particular, I want to thank our frontline teams for their continued dedication to this effort. We are off to a great start in 2021. Our strong business performance through the first three months has reinforced our confidence in the continued strength of our business model. Our geographic and product diversity continues to provide a layer of insulation from economic volatility. Despite ongoing COVID-19 impacts, the resilience of our business continues to be remarkable. This was a fantastic quarter and we're on track for our full year guidance. For those of you who follow us closely, know how much we focus on maintaining a strong balance sheet. Through the quarter, we enhanced our financial flexibility through the completion of over $3 billion of refinancing. This will deliver approximately $20 million of annual interest savings. It means we have no senior notes maturities until 2027 and are well positioned to fund our growth. Built on a foundation of great brands, great assets, great service, and a great team, we are seeing tremendous underlying strength across the business. In addition, the investments we are making in our marketing capabilities further support our growth. Ian will talk to this shortly. So far this year, we have completed or announced five acquisitions across our U.S. and international segments. This includes another small international acquisition in April, where we will expand our regional aviation portfolio through operations at two international airports in Puerto Rico. As you know, we set a high bar for any acquisition, each must advance our strategy, provide integration and organic growth opportunities and strengthen our supply advantage. Looking forward, each of our geographies offers a rich pipeline of consolidation targets to support our growth ambitions, including our international business, which we are seeing increased opportunity. Moving on to slide four, I'd like to talk briefly about our sustainability journey, which is integral to our culture and strategy. We included updates on this important strategic area in our news release. However, I would like to highlight a few key areas of focus for us. Firstly, we are making solid progress building our enterprise sustainability strategy. We are working towards our second annual sustainability report, which will include commitments around our emissions. We look forward to sharing the report in the fourth quarter and discussing details at our November Investor Day. More broadly, we see big opportunity to play an ongoing and expanded leadership role through the energy transition. This this extends well beyond our existing manufacturing of renewable fuels at the Burnaby Refinery, which which in 2021 will have the equivalent environmental effect of removing 80,000 passenger vehicles from the road. We expect continued growth in this area of our business and will also harness our existing retail network to support our customers' mobility needs, including electric vehicle charging options. We have been pragmatic and disciplined in accessing this opportunity and will focus in markets which already have encouraging electric vehicle penetration. We expect to share more on our energy transition transition strategy as we move throughout 2021. I'll now pass over to Marcel to go through the corporate
4: financial results. Thank you, Bob, and good morning, everyone. Uh, Turning to slide five and a summary of our financial results. We delivered um, a Q1 adjusted EBITDA of $314 million, which is up more than 60% from 2020. And while COVID continues to impact the broader economy, Each area of our business delivered underlying growth compared to last year. And this is an excellent result which reflects the quality and the resilience of our business through challenging market conditions. As you can see on the chart on the left, our supply segment had a great quarter. Adjusted EBITDA was up materially from last year, driven by strong utilization at our Burnaby refinery. And while prior year's quarter had the impact of the scheduled turnaround we spoke about before. Our marketing business also delivered growth with lower cost and robust margins, offsetting softer volumes. As you know, we have natural variability in our cost base. However, the teams continue to do a great job exercising financial discipline and proactive cost control. We're off to a great start to the year and are firmly on track for our full year guidance of $1.2 for adjusted EBITDA, plus or minus 5% as guided previously. Moving to the segment overview on slide six, I'll start with Canada, where we delivered $116 million of adjusted EBITDA in quarter one, which was 14 million higher than the prior year. Although many Canadian markets are experiencing a COVID third wave and have implemented tough restrictions, these uh, these are having far less material impact than we saw during the early phases of the pandemic. And it is clear that our customers have adapted. As an example, while Canada retail volumes are still behind the pre-COVID levels, since mid-March, they were, uh, they were over 40% higher than the same period in 2020, which were the first two weeks of COVID. Through the combination of strong fuel margins, lower cost, and 21 consecutive quarters of C-Store, same-store sales growth, we delivered higher EBITDA on lower volumes. Our international segment delivered 67 million of adjusted EBITDA, which is consistent with prior year. Importantly, our underlying business improved from 2020 on a US dollar basis, but the headline results were reduced by 4 million due to foreign exchange translation rate uh, impacts. International continued to benefit from cost control initiatives, enhanced logistics and shipping optimization. Even though we did not benefit from what would normally be our busy tourist season, we delivered strong performance from a wholesale channel and had pockets of strength in aviation. This was slightly offset by isolated COVID restrictions. Overall, we are extremely pleased with the international business. To be in line with last year, despite COVID and effect impacts, is a remarkable outcome. And we remain optimistic for continued economic recovery through the second half of the year and have an even stronger base business from which to grow. Our US segment delivered 20 million of adjusted EBITDA in quarter one, this is up 25% from 2020, driven by prior-year acquisition, uh, acquisitions, uh, a growth supply advantage, and national accounts growth. This growth was dampened by continued slowdown in the oil and gas and cruise ship industries in the northern and southeast regional operating centers. During the quarter, we reached a significant organic growth milestone by surpassing 350 million liters of annualized national account fuel volume, partnering with local regional operating centers to service large, complex commercial customers. And we are pleased that our sales reach is extending into areas beyond our existing regional operating centers as well. This incremental volume highlights our growing supply advantage and enhanced overall margins. Our supply business delivered excellent results in the first quarter with $136 million of adjusted EBITDA this is up 94 million from 2020. We continue to operate safely and reliably at our Burnaby refinery, with a composite utilization of 91%. This includes cr- crude processing and 1,700 barrels per day, or 25 million liters of biofeedstock coprocessing, co-processing, which was a new record for the Burnaby refinery. In addition to putting us firmly back on track with our 100 million liter full-year target for 2021 co-processing, helped us meet um, our carbon compliance requirements in British Columbia, and lowered our high-cost HDRD blending requirements. Our integrated logistics business also performed well under challenging market conditions, which improved supply cost offsetting lower volumes. Turning to slide seven, as Bob already mentioned, we have a track record of financial discipline. And for those who follow us closely will know that maintaining a strong balance sheet and financial flexibility to fund growth is a strategic imperative. We took several steps through the quarter in this regard, including over $3 billion of refinancing transactions. So what do we do and what does that mean? We increased the amount available under our credit facility from approximately $1.7 to $1.9 billion. The agreement has a five-year term and highlights our banker group's confidence in our ability to do what we do best, which is grow organically and buy high-quality companies and create value. We also took the opportunity to refinance our 2024, 25, and 26 senior note maturities, which had a weighted uh, average interest rate of nearly 6%, and through the issuance of a 600 million Canadian bond at 4.375%, And a US dollar 800 million bond at 4.5% in late March, we lowered our annual interest costs by approximately 20 million dollars and pushed out our senior senior note maturities to between 2027 and 2029. Our Canadian bond was the second lowest coupon and third largest deal on record in the Canadian high yield markets, uh, demonstrating the high the market support and confidence in our strategy, and both. Both bonds were well oversubscribed. We fully funded our capital expenditures, acquisition, and net dividends in quarter one and maintained a leverage ratio well within our comfort range. The three times um, debt-to-EBITDA ratio includes a 0.1 increase due to the acquisition activity over the last 12 months and also reflects the retirement of our intermediation facility in February. The facility was in place to fund and hedge working capital at the Burnaby Refinery which we have now moved in-house. Built on a foundation of strong operational performance and a long runway of growth opportunities, we have lowered our interest cost, have no senior note maturities for the next six years, and plenty of liquidity. And we are committed to our capital allocation policy and our primary objective of growing the business. I would like uh, to pass over to uh, Ian now to refresh everyone on our enterprise-wide organic growth initiatives. Ian?
5: Uh, Thanks, Marcel, and thank you, Bob, for inviting me to join today's call. And uh, good morning, everyone. I want to take a few minutes to highlight some of our customer-centric organic growth initiatives that we began to outline at our 2019 Investor Day. Collectively, these helped us manage and grow through COVID, have underpinned our success year to date, and will play an integral role in our continued success. Over the past few years, through targeted and purposeful investments, we have developed a unique and compelling customer value proposition. Underpinned by our high quality network of regionally relevant B2C and B2B brands, our portfolio includes exclusive fuel, T-store, fresh fruit offerings, and a variety of branded partnerships. These brands' strong regional connections have earned the trust and confidence of our customers over many years. By staying focused on our customers, we believe we have the right formula that leverages our enterprise capabilities and generates a superior customer value proposition. Scale matters in this business and we have a meaningful density, particularly in Canada where 85% of the population live within a 15 minute drive of a Parkland retail location. As we continue to increase the penetration of these brands across our retail and commercial businesses, we improve brand awareness and efficiency. Ultramar is a great example of a brand we have extended beyond retail to our commercial business across Ontario and Eastern Canada to bolster its profile. With convenience retailing specifically, each region is at a different stage of maturity. In many regards, Canada has been an incubator for our retail initiatives. The skills and capabilities we have built and refined are now being scaled across our U.S. and international businesses. This includes the unification of our convenience store brand across North America and and advancing our Journey Rewards loyalty program across all geographies. Moving to slide nine, On the Run, or OTR, is our North American convenience store brand. We have continued to evolve and refine this offer over the past few years in Canada. Based on its outperformance versus non-branded locations, we continue to have high confidence in what OTR can do for our non-fuel convenience store growth strategy. Some of the factors which underpin OTR's success include larger footprints, food offer, greater visibility from the forecourt, and locally relevant customer offerings. These characteristics have been important for years in our retail business, but even more so through COVID when we saw a shift in customer preferences and shopping habits. During the past 12 months, the c Store has emerged as a fill-in shopping destination supplementing customers' grocery trips. In addition to great branding, products, and customer service, the hallmark of a leading SeaStore business is having the operational agility to adapt to changing customer needs in real time. I couldn't be proud of our team's quick response during COVID to make the required shifts in our product mix, adding new items, and shoring up our supply chain to remain in stock all while continuing to serve our customers safely. When you bring this all together, on the run sites in 2020 deliver 20% more in point of sale dollars versus non-branded locations. Furthermore, we're encouraged by the shift we're seeing in the product mix to higher margin categories such as beverage, confectionery, food and snack items, leading to improved gross margin dollar contribution across our network. Our investment in OTR is clearly paying off. This gives us confidence to accelerate our rollout across Canada and introduce this great brand and capabilities across our US network. We will stand up five pilot locations of varying scopes in the first half of 2021. Once we've collected learnings from these pilots, we will determine the right pace of further rollouts over the following 24 months. If you are a customer of ours, you know that our promise is to help you make the most of every stop. The combination of our leading fuel on-the-run convenience store, plus exclusive food partnerships like Triple O's do just that. They help create true convenience destinations. Our exclusive agreement with Triple O's harnesses the success we have experienced at our 25 high-performing locations in British Columbia and allows us to enter new high-priority markets, including Alberta and Ontario. Although COVID has made the immediate expansion more challenging, we are progressing as planned, with one location in Alberta and two recent openings in Ontario, all connected to the -the on-the-run brand. Each site opening has been strong out of the gate and is exceeding our expectations despite the ongoing pandemic. The one way for our partnership with Triple O's is long, given the quality of the offer and limited penetration outside of BC. For those dialing in from BC, Alberta or Ontario, I encourage you to stop by one of our OTR and triple O locations to try one of their signature burgers, shakes and fries and earn two times the journey points while stocking up on convenience items at On The Run. Turning to slide 10, while our brands and exclusive partnerships form the foundation of our customer proposition. Our loyalty program strengthens the connections to our customers and enables us to deliver highly personalized, timely, relevant offers. As you can see in the chart on the left, through a challenging market environment where passenger traffic has been impacted by COVID, we have exceeded our own expectations and have grown the Journey Rewards Program to around 1.9 million members. Journey is now available at approximately 1,000 sites across Canada, and we plan to convert our fast gas locations to Journey by the end of the year. This will make Journey one of Canada's top three uh, fuel and convenience store reward programs by site count. Membership is not the only statistic we are proud of. There are many underlying trends that speak to the quality of the program and the way it drives customer engagement. For example, approximately 70% of new members have opted in for communication. This is substantially higher than the industry average and allows us two way dialogue with our members leading to more personalized offers. Supported by our strong communication opt-in, recent promotional campaign results demonstrate our ability to drive member engagement and improve our share of wallet. For example, a recent campaign offered members an additional benefit when purchasing higher margin premium fuel and drove a 9% lift in premium liters sold and a 5% lift in average fill versus the pre-promotional run rate. These improvements were experienced across all fuel brands. Similarly, offering members an additional vendor-funded benefit when purchasing specific C-Store items led to 80% of members purchasing one of those products for the first time, and 70% adding an additional item to their basket. The results of these promotional campaigns demonstrate why we are seeing higher fuel average fills and convenience store basket sizes for Journey members. So where does Journey go from here? We are focused on three near-term steps to evolve and expand our reward program. First is about refinement and personalization. Having teamed up with Amazon Web Services, we are progressing our personalization engine at an enterprise level to become more targeted and efficient with our marketing investments. Secondly, given the success of our partnership with CIBC, we intend to look at additional partnership opportunities to raise the program's profile and reach, while enhancing choice and its value to our customers. Finally, Journey will become the branded rewards program across all of our geographies. While the program design will be adapted for local markets, the fundamentals of the program will remain the same, and the benefits we are already capturing in Canada will be scaled across the enterprise. New program launches are scheduled for select U.S. and international markets in the back half of this year. Loyalty is just one way we are accelerating the connection to our customers and it's only one example of how we are embracing innovation. I look forward to speaking with you again at our November Investor Day where I'll provide more details on on the initiatives that underpin and enable our digital and innovation strategy. With that, I'll turn it back to Bob.
3: Thanks Ian. That was a great overview and it sets the tone for a year of continued organic growth across parkland. To wrap things up, before we invite your questions, I'd summarize by saying that I am delighted with our first quarter performance. Adjusted EBIT of 314 million puts us firmly on track to hit full year 2021 guidance. Our growth platform is stronger than ever, not only just for acquisitions but also to consistently deliver organic growth. We have a proven track record of disciplined value creation. We are confident in our ability to hit our our ambition for $2 billion of run rate adjusted EBITDA by the end of 2025, driven by the key strategic pillars that have made us successful for a long time. Building on our investment in sales and marketing, we have a strong pipeline of opportunities which support our ability to grow organically across all regions. The results we have seen to date give us confidence to invest further. Ian gave some great examples of this, and we will continue to innovate to improve our customer experience and become more efficient, allowing us to build on our track record of driving growth. We have a depth of high quality consolidation opportunities alongside a proven track record of synergy capture, which supports our ability to acquire prudently and integrate effectively. We have announced or closed five transactions to date this year, which demonstrates that capability And we see opportunity in Canada, the U.S., and our international business. Importantly, we have the financial toolkit and discipline required to execute. We are fortifying our supply advantage by leveraging our scale and infrastructure to enhance margins, and we continue to invest in our Burnaby refinery. The strong results and co-processing record we set at Burnaby in Q1 underpin the attractiveness of that asset. I also want to highlight that our Supply Advantage supports organic and acquisition growth in multiple product lines. Diesel and LPG are great examples of what differentiates our business model and where we see growth potential. Finally, thank you to Marcel and Ian for their comments on today's call. Their insights is representative of our One Parkland team, which has the experience, diversity, capability, and high performance mindset to deliver our goals. These attributes are what have made us successful over the past decade. Coupled with significant opportunity for Parkland to participate and lead through the energy transition, I am extremely excited for our future. I look forward to outlining this opportunity set in detail at our November Investor Day. Thanks to the entire Parkland team for all their efforts to deliver a great first quarter and setting ourselves up for a successful year. I would now like to turn the call back to the moderator for questions.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touch-tone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request, and your questions will be pulled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. If you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question. Your first question comes from Neil Mehta with Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead.
6: Good morning, team. Uh, thanks. Thanks for uh, doing this. Uh, my my first question is uh, on the uh, on the quarter. You guys put up three hundred fourteen million dollars of adjusted EBITDA. The guide here for the year is one point two billion dollars. So, in what's typically a seasonally weaker quarter, the first quarter, you you guys have, are annualizing above the midpoint of the adjusted EBITDA range. So, so so, can you talk about? Um, how you're thinking about the moving pieces that go into the 2021 earnings power, fuel prices, obviously rising, Canada continues to have lockdowns volumes seem to be performing very well in the U S and merchandise feels like it's working for you guys really well. So talk about those moving pieces and your conviction level in terms of potentially even beating the $1.2 billion. Great.
3: Uh, Thanks Neil. And and thanks for the question. Um, you know, in, in terms of uh, our, our guidance, you know, look, we, we had a great first quarter and I'm really pleased with the results. Um, you know, the score, scorecard was green across the board, which is is great to see. You know, as we look forward, I mean, the, the, the business environment is, is similar. Um, you know, we do see volatility in volumes across various markets because of uh, COVID, but we do expect that uh, as vaccines continue to roll out, in key markets, that uh, that will stabilize and we'll see volumes come back to 2019 levels. You know, something that we're seeing in in our U.S. business, that volume is coming back as people, as public health measures uh, um, kick in, vaccinations are are delivered and people feel confident to travel again. You know, I would say, um, you know, when you look, uh, again, given the underlying performance here at the beginning of the year. You know certainly a back-end recovery will bode very well for parkland and and should certainly ensure that we meet or beat that guidance number that we've put forward
6: thanks bob and the follow-up is just bridging between the 1.2 billion dollars the uh, you know the two billion dollar target that you laid out here in the release for 2025 just can, recognizing we're going to have an analyst day we're going to provide Put more meat on the bones, but just provide a sort of high-level frameworks about that bridge, and how much of it you see coming organically versus inorganically. Sure, um, the the
3: two billion really builds on top of uh, the the investor day we did in 2019, where we outlined uh, the pillars for growth across all three regions of our business plus our supply. And uh, wholesale business, and uh, and you know what what we're doing is confirming that, and also, uh, you know what we've seen over the last couple of years is uh, a lot of investment in our underlying capability to ensure that we can deliver that. And Ian provided some great examples of the organic growth initiatives that we've put in place, you know that we're we were investing in over the last couple of years, and now we see really starting to drive performance. And uh, we will continue to roll those out, not only in Canada, but across our other jurisdictions. You know, the other piece that we now have is our M&A opportunity, which we've, we've talked about in the past. Uh, you know, we have lots of uh, small to medium opportunities that enable us to hit that target. And as we look forward, the composition of that is roughly 50% M&A, And 50% synergies and organic growth. So, uh, you know, again, a target that feels uh, very comfortable. And uh, given our geographic and product breadth, we have uh, we, we have a lot of opportunities that we can pursue to fulfill that. Thanks,
7: guys. Appreciate it.
1: Your next question comes from David Newman with Desjardins. Please go ahead.
8: Good morning folks. Uh, congrats on the great set of results. Um, my first question of the two is just on, just on digging down in Burnaby a little bit. I mean it's, it's really impressive uh, the outperformance and that you've had in, in you know de- defying COVID, I would call it. Uh, the elements of the outperformance are what, what elements are sustainable between optimizing sales, channels mix, HDRD, and do you expect that you know posting these kind of numbers in terms of utilization is that sustainable and how does it how do you frame this on a recovery i mean it looks like you you could almost run up against capacity constraints so maybe just digging down on what elements are sustainable with the with the biofuel and the hdrd benefits and then longer term on utilization
3: great uh thanks for the question dave um you know look uh uh, our team um, you know the parkland team has really done a stellar job in optimizing the burnaby asset you know among many facets which has allowed us to uh, maintain an industry util- industry leading utilization and also the uh, the introduction of uh, biofeed stocks which again is an industry first You know has really helped us make sure that we can meet our compliance obligations in the most cost effective manner I'll I'll turn it over to Dirk and and Dirk will give uh, you know some more detail on the optimization activities at the refinery
9: yeah thanks very much Bob and uh, good morning David yeah uh, when we're looking at the refinery um, yes we were able to hit a high utilization rate that'll fundamental to that means that we're able to clear the inventory That would be gasoline diesel and jet Uh, and we're fortunate to have some good contracts at that vancouver international airport because jet has been the difficult item to clear for most refiners Uh, with the expected turnaround we're expecting those volumes to pick back up and that would be across the board for all types of flights so as we're looking forward we see that we can be able to maintain that utilization rate uh, keep in mind that in Q four, we've already announced that we've got a like a mini turnaround pit stop that would be two to three weeks., uh, so that that's why we have that utilization of eighty five percent for for this year. But as we look forward to uh, the other parts of this year and into next year, um, we we think we can get right back to the normal utilization rates, which would be taking us to that ninety two to ninety five percent. Um, couple that with the uh, benefits that we get from the bio um, refining, which helps us meet the, low, uh, the stringent um, British Columbia low carbon fuel requirements. For us, this is a cheaper way to meet uh, the, the pathways to uh, to those uh, regulatory requirements. Uh, so we're feeling quite positive. Again, uh, you know, a lot will be driven by the crack spreads, but the cracks have been pretty good, uh, relatively speaking. Uh, when we look at it, it's just uh, a little bit below the running three to five year average. Uh, we'd expect that to normalize. So we're feeling pretty positive what we see at the refinery. And as Bob has mentioned, uh, the team at the refinery has done an incredible job of being able to feed in the biofeed along with the crude and, and run it safely and consistently. And uh, as we went past through the last year's uh, turnaround, uh, part of what we were looking for uh, with the work we were doing it was to increase our, our efficiency at the refinery and, and keep the refinery up and running at a higher utilization rate. So those benefits are starting to reap through to us, and we'll uh, be able to uh, enjoy those uh, in next, for the rest of this year and next year as well.
8: Excellent. Thanks, Dirk. And then my second question is... Uh, well, I'm sure we all feel a little bit like caged animals with this COVID, uh, staying in, and we're all ready to, to to go out there in the world. Then again, oh. and if you look at it in terms of like cruise lines, airline traffic, driving, maybe an elevated level of staycations this summer. I think things are getting booked up in Canada across the board. Any KPIs that you can point out that you that you that you think that maybe there's a possibility that we could actually overshoot? coming out of this in the second half of this year, are are you seeing any telltale signs at all in the horizon that gives you more confidence?
3: Yeah, David, you know, a a number of items that we're seeing across the board in, again, in the U.S., you know, we've seen gasoline demand pick up quite robustly in the markets that we're operating in. Um, And, uh, you know, would expect to see that in Canada as, as things start to come back. On the uh, international side, you know, um, markets are starting to open up, and anecdotally, we are seeing uh, activity pick up on the, um, you know, on the tourism side. We are seeing our jet fuels start to come back in, in key markets, and uh, you know, again, expect that uh, there is pent up demand for uh, for travel. And we'll see that, uh, you know, not only locally, but also uh, through, uh, you know, hopefully some air travel into uh, down south, uh, you know, particularly as we get into the back end of the year and the weather starts to get, get colder. Um, you know, again, on the uh, on the cruise side, you know, again, there, uh, you know, we're certainly hearing and, and, you know, the what we've heard from our customers is that uh, they have uh, bookings. Record bookings going into the back end of the year and, you know, presumably as restrictions get lifted, we'll see uh, a rise in demand. You know, so overall, uh, um, you know, presuming that uh, uh, vaccinations continue to roll out and people feel confident to travel, we're feeling quite bullish around the back end of the year.
8: Excellent, gents. We'll see you down on the beach. Thanks. For, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, David.
1: Your next question comes from Ben Isaacson with Scotiabank. Please go ahead.
7: Thank you, and good morning, everyone. Um, First question is on rumors that I'm hearing about a gasoline shortage in the U.S. and Canada due to a limited number of truck drivers. I can see a path how that could be negative and a path how that could be positive for you. Can you talk about your own fleet, first of all, and then what what kind of impact do you think that could have in your business from a margin point of view and from a volume point of view?
3: Yeah. Thanks for the question, Ben. And, and, you know, look, uh, you know, we are seeing that in the U S business. I mean, drivers uh, are in short supply. Um, You know, I would say it's not something that uh, is new to us. I mean, we've always uh, prided ourselves on being able to um, um, recruit and retain the best drivers in the industry. We're fortunate uh, in most jurisdictions, we run our own fleets, so that gives us some flexibility uh, to compensate for potential shortages in drivers. We can work work a bit of overtime. And uh, again, we do uh, focus on retaining and making sure that uh, we keep our, our, our drivers at parkland um you know in terms of the impact uh again costs um tend to, to run through into the market extra costs and also um you know if if we do see a shortage uh it does tend to uh uh work its way through on the volume margin side of the business
7: great and then uh just a quick one on um on covid so your volume in canada looks like it was down around 10 11% year over year how did you enter the quarter and how did you exit the quarter are are you back towards kind of sub five percent year over year even though i guess q two was um was the start of covid last year
8: yeah
3: um you know we it's interesting i mean it's been kind of flat through the quarter um at that number that we published, and uh again we've seen we've seen markets. There's been volatility across our markets. You know, the one thing that we haven't seen that we saw last year as markets go into more um, severe lockdowns, we're not seeing the level of uh, decline in demand. So people are still moving. You know, they're still going to work. And, uh, um, you know, we're uh, we're seeing demand actually hold in quite well given, particularly in Canada, given some of the uh, lockdowns that are in place. Great. Thanks so much. Great. Thanks, Ben.
1: Your next question comes from Kevin Chang with CIBC. Please go ahead.
10: Thanks for taking my question this morning, uh, everyone. Maybe I've got to ask about Canadian fuel margins just looking at my own model this looks to be at least the second highest uh, I have going back a few years here and it seems like it seems like part of this uh, outside of just kind of that volume margin you know mix that you talk about is is maybe the opportunity to leverage some of that big data or data mining to, to kind of maybe increase the efficiency of 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 on the quality of your revenue and, and just wondering you know what inning are you in terms of maybe harvesting that data to kind of maximize profitability and then and then when you think about leveraging that into your u.s and international uh you know segments you know how, how should we how should we think about that as well as how should we think about this capability as you think about the synergy capture when it comes to it comes to your m&a pipeline
3: Yeah. Um, so let, let, let me talk about um, um, you know volumes and margins. And again, I'll ask Ian here to assist me. But uh, you know, I would say, again, you know, across across our business, what we've seen through the pandemic and and you know certainly um, in you know in the last quarter is is the resilience of the platform. You know, we've seen uh, volume, margin, and costs and and you know the team has been able to to manage that quite effectively to make sure that uh, we um, um, preserve our cash flows. Um, you know in terms of the digital um, work we've done around our, our, our pricing I'll, and how we're rolling that out, I'll, I'll turn that over to Ian and Ian can comment on it. it is, uh, Ian does lead our, our digital group at
5: Parkland. Sure. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, and Kevin, appreciate the uh, the question. Um, you know, as Bob said, I would suggest there's two factors at play. One is there is a market condition, and given the role we play in the market, it's important that we, um, you know, we know we have an impact on that. So a big part of that is ensuring we're making the right decisions. And I would say at a, you know, we are much better at pricing at a micro market level um, from a fuel perspective, but also want to deploy those capabilities know, more around dynamic pricing um, into the convenience store and also across other jurisdictions, um, including uh, our B2B business. So, I would say what, what we're experiencing right now is a combination of what we're seeing in the market, but also our ability to read the market, react, and utilize uh, some of the digital capabilities that we have uh, we have developed and will continue to progress.
10: Okay, that's that, that, that's helpful color. And, and then I, I know we'll get more details on this, uh, on the $2 billion uh, t- target that, that you, you reiterated on the press release yesterday. But I'd be interested in knowing, you know, when, when, you, when you initially talked about $2 billion at your investor day versus maybe how you see the path forward p- post-pandemic, just wondering, how, you know, if there's any changes in the moving parts in terms of how you think you get there, um, you know, how, how does energy transition play a role uh, today, maybe versus what you would have contemplated, you know, I guess two, two years ago. Just be interested interested to know, you know, are there are there are there are there things you could point to uh, that are different now versus uh, you know the Investor Day back in 2019 when you initially laid out this uh, this uh, this two billion dollar target.
3: Yeah, Kevin, uh, I'll, I'll take that one. Um, you know, in terms of the the two billion target, you know, I would say our you know again as 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 we look at our business we have a number of advantages that help us get to that target You know, again the first is our geographic diversity and the fact that we're in a lot of markets and markets that are still very fragmented um, you know the second thing is our product diversity which uh, we're you know gasoline convenience and then also in our um, diesel and propane businesses you know, as we uh, as we look forward and and start to take into account potential impacts of energy transition, um, you know, how do, how has that changed? I mean, I would say uh, consistent with what we've talked about in the past. First and foremost is uh, a focus on good, strong non-fuel and convenience revenue. And, and looking for good assets. And I think uh, the, the recent transaction we announced in the, UN, in the U.S. CNB is a great example of that because it, it really brought some, some top-tier convenience sites to us that are destinations that have a good, good, strong food and convenience offer. Um, you know, the second thing is continuing to grow our, our diesel and our propane businesses. Um, you know, we've seen, um, and we can do that across across all of our jurisdictions, um, both organically and through M&A. Um, you know, our diesel business, uh, again, I'll, I'll point to CMB, which has a strong commercial element and also uh, some good uh, infrastructure to enable uh, import into the market. And, uh, again, we see that as a good... Uh, basis on which to build and grow that business in that jurisdiction. Um, You know, the third is in our propane business and, uh, you know, we see opportunities in our international business to to add propane volume. We've made investments there in our propane distribution capability, which have extended our supply advantage beyond gasoline and diesel into propane. And then we recently uh, announced the or, or closed in the quarter the acquisition of two uh, LPG terminals in the Midwest, which further cements our wholesale position in those markets. So, those are some of the typical assets that we're buying that we see as long-term assets, and, and certainly, um, you know, we, we, we see a good pipeline of those going forward, and those will persist uh, um, through the uh, pending energy transition
10: here. That's that's very great, caller. Thank you very much.
1: Your next question comes from Vishal Sridhar with National Bank. Please go ahead.
11: Hi, uh, thanks for taking my questions. Um, you've referenced um, points about this throughout the call, but uh, you know everyone is talking about uh, inflation and um, wondering what the impact is on on your business we're already seeing a little bit of pressure on uh, working cap associated with uh, rising commodity prices. And, and, and I know it's not a massive part of your business, but you'll, U S fuel margins starting to fade a little bit here. Uh, I'm wondering if there's other things I should consider, maybe wages, what you see there, pressure from store product margins or other attributes. Uh, how's management thinking about that?
3: Um, you know, look, I would say, uh, you know, when it comes to the underlying commodity, I mean, the the price where it's at, it's it's been there before. So our business is you know well, uh, it's used to. And from a working capital perspective, you know, we can certainly uh, accommodate that. Um, and and again, you know, our our business uh, is a fixed margin business, or is a margin business on top of the uh, on top of the underlying. Um, commodity price, so we're really not that sensitive to where the price is, in terms of our ability to, uh, in in terms of the impact on our margins. Um, you know, in terms of uh, uh, base inflation in the business, yes, you know, we we have been seeing costs escalate, which we've been seeing here for quite a while. You know, even in certain jurisdictions uh, mandated. Uh, increases in minimum wages have been something we've been dealing with over the last several years, and uh, you know we tend to be able to pass that through to the customer base, um, and and you know that's something that we've seen consistently over the years, and wouldn't expect that to change.
11: Okay, uh, thank you for that color. Just switching gears here, and, uh, and I recognize it's it's early days, but uh, management refer- referenced electrical vehicle charging, and uh, wondering how, at this point, management sees uh, that initiative. Is is this an initiative that you see meeting the typical target thresholds that PKI uh, aims to achieve, or is this more of a a test-and-learn initiative, and then uh, as you learn more about the initiative, then you'll deploy it potentially in scale at your typical return uh, targets?
3: Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, look, our, our um, initial forays here are on a very small basis. And we've gone into various markets and tested with uh, charging alongside our convenience. Um, we are evolving our thinking here. And, and you know, particularly in markets where we're starting to see higher adoption rates in EVs, um, we think there's a good opportunity to start to... Uh, roll out uh, uh, an EV charging um, proposition that uh, you know we can meet the needs, the energy needs of our customers independent of the type of vehicle that they're driving. Um, we do think that the, the pillar of that is a good, strong destination food and convenience offer. Uh, we're well positioned, particularly in BC, where we are seeing um, uh, increases in... Uh, certainly, the new vehicle sold on the EV side. You know to start to play in that market, and uh, you know certainly when we look at certain European countries um, and that are ahead in terms of adoption, uh, there are some encouraging statistics around dwell time and uh, um, you know the, the amount that consumers are spending once they get to a site and are waiting for their their cars to charge. So. Uh, you know, stay tuned. Uh, we are doing a lot of work, and uh, you know, we'll be keeping our investors updated on these initiatives as they roll out here in the back half of the year.
11: Okay. And um, management earlier referenced the 2019 Analyst Day, and they uh, and and it laid out a variety of um, a variety of initiatives to to help achieve the uh, the, the, the ambitious goals that were set. Um, I'm just wondering like uh, in terms of the progress made there's some initiatives which may have been delayed because of covid I think one of the initiatives that was talked about was um improving interprovincial and and um, US to Canada commercial uh, volumes making it easier for your customers to to cross boundaries and, and increase the volume that way is that initiative still is that still a key initiative for Parkland and has it been able to make progress uh, since that analyst day?
3: Yeah, I, I, I think you're talking to our NFN platform and uh, you're right. We did uh, idle that last year, um, you know, due to COVID and, and just uh, reprioritizing, um, you know, it is something we've reinvigorated this year and expect to be in market with that proposition, uh, in the back half of the year. Thanks for the color.
1: Your next question comes from John Royal with J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead.
2: Hey,
4: good morning. Thanks for taking my question. Um, so, was wondering on the relative strength of the Canadian dollar. Um, the types of levels we're seeing now were um, contemplated in your guidance for the year, and uh, what kind of sensitivity does your overall business have to movements in the currency?
3: Um, thanks, John. I'll, I'll turn that question over to Marcel, who can talk about the impacts of FX on our business?
4: Yeah no, thank you for the question uh, there, John. Um, so uh, maybe just as a basis, uh, most of our markets, whether it's in Canada or the US or of course the international business, the US dollar plays a very important part just because the base pricing is like that. And so we generally see, uh, a natural hedge when the dollar is moving all the way uh, up to the consumer pricing, uh, of course. Uh, a couple of effects, and we talk about it in our uh, in our results. Uh, so when I talked about the international business being impacted by a $4 million kind of FX effect, that's just a translation. Uh, they did better in, in U.S. dollars, but when you then translate that back to CAD with the, with the stronger Canadian dollar, uh, you know, that, uh, that is kind of a, that has a $4 million impact. So that's a translation effect uh, on the accounts, if you say. Then on our balance sheet, uh, you know, if you look at our balance sheet, we talk about, uh, you know, the OCI and the way that our balance sheet overall is uh, is positioned. And what we're trying to do there is match our U.S. dollar assets on the balance sheet with, with U.S. dollar debt. So that's uh, those two kind of uh, offset each other. Uh, and we're looking at that and beyond that, from a uh, you know from a kind of operational perspective, uh, we clearly monitor uh, our currencies, particularly those in the international business. We monitor that closely. We don't have a very active uh, hedging program. We would only do that if we have material exposures to a currency we normally don't uh, deal with. But even in those markets that uh, that aren't US dollar price, we typically see that FX movements, uh, you know, get passed on to the uh, to the end consumer relatively uh, quickly. So, I hope that answers your question there, John. Yeah, it does. That's really helpful. Thank you. And then um second one uh, might be sticking with Marcel. It's, uh, just um, on the CapEx, it came in pretty light this quarter relative to, you know, just thinking of an even allocation to your guidance. Um, and I see the guidance is unchanged. So, just wondering if you can discuss the cadence of capex a little bit for the rest of the year and where some of that lumpiness may be coming from. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh do you want to take that ball?
3: No, 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 Marcel, you go ahead. I was going to, of course, your way. So. <laughs> Thank you.
4: No, the, uh so John, so in, uh, as Dirk already mentioned, the second half of the year, of course, we have the, uh, the turnaround at uh, at Burnery or the, the shorter turnaround there. Uh, so that will uh, take up some capex, so that's going to be a bit more, uh, you know, back-loaded. Also, as you recall, last year, we, uh, you know, we uh, we took quite – we stopped quite a bit of activity, or we paused that. And so we're just, you know, kind of uh, getting up to speed with some of that activity. So while quarter one, uh, you know, was, uh, was relatively, uh, you know, kind of relatively slow – uh, there's a lot of uh, work is being done underlying, and so we still feel that the guidance that we've given for CapEx will be there by the uh, by the end of the year. Great. Thank you.
1: Your next question comes from Michael Van Elst with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks. I
7: guess this question's for Ian. Um, regarding your Canadian same-store sales, we've seen some... Um, you know, some meaningful changes in the customer shopping habits. And, of course, you've also had some pretty strong company-specific improvements with your loyalty, the on-the-run, and the private label. I'm wondering if you have a sense as to how much of the improvement you've seen over the last four quarters is more driven by company specifics and, and therefore... You'll, you know whether or not you think you can continue to show some growth as you lap these really strong comps,
5: yeah michael um yeah sorry Bob am i you okay yep great thanks um so yeah I think I think we're it was certainly we had um we've had a strong twenty twenty as you pointed out, and part of that was seeing that that shift in consumer demand and behavior. I would say more broadly though, um, the channel as a whole is playing a bigger role in consumers lives. And the big, um, I think the, the important component to consider is that the investments we've made in, 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 in upgrading our locations but also in, um, you know, in the brand and um, in, in, uh, in the capabilities like loyalty that by the way, we did launch in the middle of a pandemic. We're really starting to see that getting closer to the consumer is paying off. So, so, so I've got a lot of confidence in in the team's ability to continue to drive strong, strong comps. You know, we're lapping strong comps as well on a year over year basis, but, but we certainly, as Bob pointed out earlier, we, we see a good sort of long road of of organic growth ahead of us in this area. What are you seeing, uh,
7: or what are you, what are you thinking of from either a promotional um, standpoint or other strategic initiatives that, you that you'll do to try and keep that customer from going back to old habits and shopping more at grocery stores rather than kind of mixing it up with uh, closer to home c-stores
5: i think it's a couple of things one is we we were fortunate enough to remain an essential service uh, to remain open during consumers times of need and to do it really well so i think the connection that uh, our brands and, and our, our local teams made in, in our communities uh, in my view withstand the test of time and that's, that's something I think that, that that will resonate for many, many years. And every survey and consumer perspective you know I, I read and hear about indicates that, that consumers will continue to reward brands that did the right thing for them in, in times of need. So I think we've got a very good halo there. I think secondly, what you'll start to see us do, and that's the reason we gave some color around, the early, our sort of early impressions of the of the rewards program, is we'll be able to come more targeted and more personal. So, you know, today it's it's largely a mass message that reaches you know everybody, um, and and there's you know a bit of a lack of efficiency around that from a marketing spend perspective. What you'll start seeing us do as membership and our programs grow, and the stickiness with our consumer base grows, is you'll see more more targeted you know personal offers, and more choice for for consumers. So. So I think you know the combination, is, as as Bob alluded to earlier, of us investing in the business, um, you know, both from a um, a physical attribute perspective, meaning you know more sites, um, you know, better locations, but also the investments we're making in these programs, um, you know, we think will again is a, is, a, is an important growth engine for us.
7: Great, thank you.
1: Your next question comes from Eric Delay with Canaccord Genuity. Go ahead.
10: Yeah. Thanks, guys. Um,
6: just a, a question on on the the two billion dollar ambition. I, I think you mentioned on uh, in your remarks that roughly fifty percent of that would come of the incremental would come from acquisitions. And if I recall back to twenty nineteen, that number was was seventy five percent. So, can you just talk about you know what you're seeing or or where the improvements that you've you know you've seen on the organic side that have kind of brought up the organic uh, part of that equation?
3: Just to clarify, Derek, uh, it is about the same. You know, it's about 75% M&A plus synergies and 25% organic. Um, you know, we've split it. depends how you split it. It can also be uh, 50% acquired and then 50% organic plus synergies. So just to uh, it's roughly, it's just a different way of slicing it. Uh, again, you know, look, when we do look at it, we do have a proven track record of being able to, you uh, buy great assets that we can add value to uh, our underlying, uh, and and you know have con- demonstrated that we can deliver anywhere between 20 and 50% synergies uh, with each acquisition. So quite confident that we can hit those numbers uh, on top of our continued organic growth commitments. So does that okay. makes sense.
6: No, that, that, yep. That, no, that makes that makes sense. That that helps clarify. Um, what I thought was the difference there. And then just, can you just comment on in what you're seeing in terms of the, you know, the, the increase here that we've seen in oil prices, how has that affected the business? You know, I'd imagine it's, it's led to some you know incremental activity in, in the U S but what about crack spreads and the refinery as well?
3: Yeah. in in, in terms of activity, you know, again, in certain jurisdictions uh, it does help, you know, particularly Alberta and our Northern U S business, um, you know, as, as, um, exploration activity uh, kicks back in that will help those jurisdictions. I mean, on an overall corporate basis, uh, they're not really material, but it is always nice to have uh, the incremental volume. Uh, Dirk, do you want to comment on what we're seeing in terms of the crack spreads?
9: Sure, and thanks very much, Bob, and, and good morning, Derek. Yeah, when you're looking at the crack spread, remember the crack spread is a, is, is comparing two items. One is... the the cost of the underlying uh, commodity, so in our case crude uh, and and biofeed. And then the other part of it is, which is the revenue side of it is what the price that we get for gasoline and diesel and and jet. And so the the crack spread sometimes will vary as the commodity price moves up. Sometimes it will hold steady. Uh, What we have seen over the last little while is a small improvement uh, on that crack spread. Uh, But just remember that that the two are interlinked, i.e. the the feed input costs and the revenue uh, of the finished products. And so even in a high commodity price environment, you can get periods where there's high and or low uh, uh, crack spreads. The same with uh, when the prices go down. It's really the interplay between the inputs and the outputs. Uh, But as we have seen... Uh, We've uh, had some pretty decent uh, crack spreads, even during a downturn. And uh, as uh, we look through uh, the last few months, uh, we've seen a steady uh, but small increases to to the crack spread.
6: Okay, great. Thank you very much.
1: Your final question comes from Steve Hansen with Raymond James. Please go ahead.
5: Oh, yes. Right, guys. Thanks for the time here. Uh, I'll be quick with a single. Uh, first of all, glad to see the Triple O's uh, franchise extending beyond BC as a resident. It's a, it's a fantastic offer. Uh, but my question is really around the journey program extension in, into other geographies, the US in particular. Uh, CBC has been obviously one of the important key pillars or partnerships around your journey success. Thus far, how how should we think about partnership opportunities as you extend the brand into the US and and what kind of partners do you feel you need to ultimately make sure it's successful down there? Thanks. Great. Thanks, Steve. And I'll turn that over to Ian. Great. Thanks, Bob. Steve, great question. and you're right. We've had a we've had a, a very successful uh, partnership with CIBC to this point. It's brought um, you know profile to the program. It's brought a tremendous share of wallet opportunity for Parkland. And as I referenced in my comments, um, we do believe that there are natural partnership extensions. So, you know, I would say you know certainly financial services is an area we see being a key role, but other other areas uh, you know such as grocery, travel, you know, et cetera. Um, uh, we think would be natural, um, uh, natural sort of partnerships that we should uh, we could be pursuing. So, I, I would look to you know over time as we progress uh, this capability in the new geographies to see you know a similar partnership, um, a pursuit of similar partnerships with some tweaks again subject to um, uh, to the local markets and 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 to the brands and uh, and and various. Um, Um, services
10: that those markets require.
3: Okay, great. Well, thanks. Uh, um, That concludes our uh, Q&A period today. I would really like to thank everybody for Participating, and look forward to chatting in August when we announce our Q2 results.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and
0: ask that you please disconnect your lines. Have a great day. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90 percent lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7Up, all with your card.